able to, would you continue standing and turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I will turn there in a second. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15. You may have noticed that 1 Corinthians 15 is not 1 Peter chapter 4. And of that I say you are very observant. Um, the reason for it is uh, I just wanted to... The, the history, just based off of how historic of a day this is, I wanted to, to dive in a little bit deeper into 1 Corinthians 15 and preach on Christ alone. Uh, so we'll be taking a break this week, of course, from 1 Peter. And uh, then next week, the next two weeks, David's going to preach from Galatians 1 and 2. And then, Lord willing, when I get back, we will pick up where we left off in 1 Peter 4. But for today, if you are still following me, we are in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll begin reading in verse 1. The Word of God says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you now. And we thank you for your word that points us to the faith that we can have by grace through Christ alone. Lord, this salvation, this gospel that we have is not of what we have done, but what Christ has done for us. So, Lord God, I ask now that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you or do you not repudiate your books and the heirs which they contain? Those were words that were asked to Martin Luther. And today, as I mentioned, marks the 505th year anniversary of Luther nailing a document to a church door called the 95 Theses. Uh, he nailed it to the Wittenberg Castle Church's door in Germany. And what he did was he was originally intending to, store, to start a discussion of reform within the Catholic Church. But it led much further than that. Four years later, he would be asked that question. He would be asked that question of whether or not he would recant or whether or not he would renounce the works that he had written over those years. So Luther, as he was standing at trial, 
was asked that question, and literally his life was hanging in the balance. The Catholic Church in that day had the power of the state to kill him for what they thought was heresy, what they thought was false teaching. And he replied, Since then, your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply. I will answer without horns and without teeth. Unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. Luther's fear of God allowed him to be freed of what man might do to him. Freed from the fear of man allowed him to stand there. Friends, we can learn from the lives of those who have gone before us, even if we don't agree with them on everything. I understand that some of you are so Baptist you consider yourself just to be a Baptist and not Protestant. In my mind, I think you're wrong, but I love you anyways. Some of you guys are so Baptist that you don't even want to hear about Martin Luther because you can trace your lineage all the way back to John the Baptist. But, you know, we sing a hymn in this church called, O Church, Arise. And, and there's, a, there's a verse in there that says, As saints of old still line the way, retelling triumphs of his grace, we hear their calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand in glory. In other words, we can root our lives in Christ alone by also looking back on the lives of those who have gone before us and have our faith in Christ strengthened and live for him today. So despite the various corrupt leaders throughout the history of the church who have sought to distort the gospel, Friends, we see the same gospel that Paul preached in 1 Corinthians 15 is the gospel that we hold to today. The gospel that in some areas needed to be recovered 505 years ago today. The gospel that Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians 15 has not changed. Friends, our world is changing, but you know what hasn't changed? The gospel. The gospel has not changed. That old, old story is, the, is still the same message and the only message that saves. On the front of your bulletins, there's three words. Christ, community, commission. In other words, what we want is everybody who comes through these doors, we want them to know who Christ is. That salvation is through Christ alone. We also want every member here to be rooted in Christ and also rooted in his body, joined together in a gospel-centered community, and also joined together in fulfilling the Great Commission, the task of making disciples of all nations. And so today, I want us to dive deeper into Christ alone. Today, what it means to look at who Christ is, what this gospel message is that must be believed, that must be received, and which we must stand in and also proclaim today. So in order for this to happen, we have to know who Christ is. We have to know what 
the gospel is. Paul, as you see in 1 Corinthians 15, says, Now I would remind you, brothers, verse 1, of the gospel I preach to you. Do you know what the word gospel means? Simply put, Paul, what does it mean? Good news, right? The good news. Now, news is meant to be announced. And you see, the difference between Christianity and every other religion is that every other religion is advice. It's advice on how to live. But Christianity is news. And at the core of it, it's the good news about Jesus Christ. It's the good news of how we are so lost and we are so broken in our sin, our sin and rebellion and disobedience to God. And we're so lost that we cannot fix our broken relationship with God. And we're so lost and so broken that God himself had to come and find and save us. And he did that through Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who never sinned, who kept all of God's laws internally and externally. But he didn't just live a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. Jesus, being the only perfect person to ever live, did not deserve death. But he died on that cross for us so that our rebellious lives. And when he died, he showed that God was willing to forgive. He died to save us from the punishment due our sins. But friends, the good news doesn't end there. Not only did he die, he rose from the dead. And when he did that, he demonstrated that death had no hold on him. And friends, this is the message that Paul is speaking of here. This is the message that we are to believe and that we are to announce and that we are to declare here in our community here and to the ends of the earth. But is this message, this news, is it foolishness to believe this gospel? Is it foolish to believe that Christ rose from the dead? To the world, yes. In fact, if you were to turn to 1 Corinthians 1, you would see that Paul says that the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So is believing this message that Paul is writing about here in 1 Corinthians, is it foolish to believe this? Are Christians just kind of looking off into the future without a confident assurance assurance of hope? Are Christians just those who say, well, I really wish this message were true? Or can we have a confident hope and expectation of knowing that there truly is an empty grave in Jerusalem. And that empty hole in the ground changes everything. As we've seen throughout First Peter, as we were working our way through First Peter, we saw that we can have a hope that is certain. A hope that's not just a wishful thinking, not a foolish or a fool's hope, but a certain and living how? Because there is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And how does that? How does that empty tomb change everything? Well, we're going to see in these verses, we're going to see how the empty tomb of Jesus changes everything. And then we're also going to look and see 
six different consequences, or we could say six different gifts and blessings of the resurrection of Jesus. So the Bible clearly teaches that Christ died for our sins and he also rose from the dead. What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for us today? Let's take a look. Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. I want to ask you, who won the Super Bowl this last year? Does anybody remember? It was Tampa Bay. I had a, I, the only reason I could remember that was because Tom Brady was the quarterback. If you ask me who won the Super Bowl the year before that, I don't know. Now, does that message change your life? The fact that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, does that message change your life? Well, let me ask you, last year, who won the World Series? The worst team in baseball won the World Series. That changed my life, and it helped me grow in my disgust for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And they didn't really win it. It was a shortened season. I'm not going to get into that, but there's an asterisk behind it. But does that truth that they won a shortened season's World Series, does that change your life? No, that is not a truth that transforms your life, especially if you're a Dodgers fan, because it doesn't really count. But it's not a it's not a truth that you would die for. Right. It's not a truth that you're going to hang your life on. Well, maybe some people do. But Paul, what he's laying out for us in first Corinthians 15 in these first few verses are these two absolutely important truths for our lives that will change your eternity. What truth did Paul say he delivered to the Corinthians? Well, we see that he delivered the gospel to them. And he says that this is the gospel, the message that he preached. They've received it. They're standing in it. And it's the gospel by which they are being saved. That good news about Jesus Christ. And as you look in verses three and four, he expands further on what this good news is. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. These two truths here, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was raised from the dead. These two truths. Change your eternity. If you believe them. You will be with God for all eternity. And the new heavens and the new earth. If you reject them, then you will be separated from God for all eternity in hell. And Paul is saying, you have believed this. I've preached this to you. You have received it and you are standing in this gospel message. And I ask you here today, have you received this good news? Kids who are here today, students. This is a message that you have to receive for yourself. It's not your parents' message that they then pass down to you and then it transfers automatically to you. No, this has to be your own faith. 
Brothers and sisters, maybe you've grown up in the church your entire life and you've heard the gospel every single Sunday, but have you genuinely received it? Are you standing in it? Have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Paul is saying these two truths are what changes our eternity. And you see that, first of all, it entails the fact that Christ died for our sins. And we see in accordance with the Scriptures. Well, what does it mean that Jesus died for our sins? Well, friends, it means that, 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 that as the Bible says, and as we know from our own experiences, that none of us are perfect. That as Paul writes elsewhere in Romans 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means that none of us are perfect, that all of us have sinned, that we've all done wrong. We have not perfectly fulfilled the law's demands. We have not perfectly followed the Lord in all of our ways. We had to have someone die for us. So Paul is saying Christ had to die because he alone is perfect. He alone could satisfy the wrath, the judgment of God for our sins. He alone is perfect and we are not. He died for our sins because on the cross, He was that sacrifice on our behalf. So don't miss that. I could not die for you. You know that. You know that I'm not perfect. But neither could you die for me. Because the same goes, I know you're not perfect either. But there was one who was, the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone could die on the cross to save us from the punishment for our sins. I could not die for you, I'm a sinner, and you could not die for me either, because you are a sinner as well. So Paul said, Christ did this in accordance with the Scriptures. In other words, the entirety of the whole Old Testament is pointing to Him, how He was the coming Messiah, the coming Savior, who would save and redeem God's people, and how through Him, they would be able not just to know things about God as their Creator, or know things about God as their maker, but so that they could truly come to know God as their father. Now, I was reading in Exodus 12 about the Passover lamb. And ultimately, we see the Passover lamb as a picture of what Christ has done for us. How the sins were paid, were, were punished, uh, how were placed on that lamb, and how ultimately Jesus is our true Passover lamb. And how through Jesus' blood, God is able to pass over our sins. But Paul doesn't end there with just Jesus dying in accordance with the Scriptures. We see in verse 4, he says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So not only did Jesus die, he was buried. And he was dead. Not, not kind of dead, but he was literally and physically and bodily dead. You could have touched his body and felt the coldness of his skin with your own hands. You could put your ear to his chest and you would not hear a heartbeat. You would see, you would feel no air coming out of his lungs. He was crucified on the bloody cross and Jesus was dead, really dead. So much so, that what happened to all of his closest followers? They all left. They all scattered. And they all went back to doing what they did before they had met Christ. 
Many of them went back to fishing. But friends, suddenly, on that Easter Sunday morning, those lungs that hadn't been working began to fill with air. The heart that had no blood pumping in it for three days began beating. The eyes that were caked over with blood from the crown of thorns thrust on his head opened. Those arms and those legs that were cold and stiff moved. The man who had been dead now marched out of that tomb with the power over sin and death. So why is it that Christ must rise from the dead? Remember I had a professor say, because dead saviors don't save. They're just martyrs. If Jesus were still dead today, then simply all we are is just another political or religious movement. If Jesus was still in a tomb, his body was still in a tomb today, all he was was just another political or religious revolutionary. He would simply just be a martyr. Did you ever notice that Jesus is nowhere called a martyr? He's called our Savior. He is called Christ the Lord. Why? Because He did what no one else was able to do. He conquered sin and death. And Paul is saying, this is the message that He delivered. This is the message that He preached. And it's what? Of first importance. Because it's the only message that saves us from our sins, that saves us from the judgment of God. And so we must trust in Christ and look to Him. This is the message that is of first importance. I wonder, is that true of you? Would you say that the gospel is the message in your life that is of first importance? So he says, Christ died and He rose from the dead. And then he goes on and he tells how Jesus in verses 5 through 11 appeared to numerous people. He appeared to the apostles, that the 12 at one time to over 500 people. He says, most of whom are still alive. Now, let's be clear. They're not still alive in our day, but in the day in which Paul was writing, right? Suggesting and Paul is saying, look, if you don't believe me, you could go and you could talk to them. And then he mentions Last of all, Jesus appeared to Paul. You can read about that appearance in Acts chapter 9. Now it's important because what Paul is doing here, what this text shows us, is it shows us the historic reliability of the resurrection. The historic truthfulness of the resurrection. Jesus really did die, and he really did rise from the dead. It's not some message that was secretly crafted 300 years later. It really did happen. So much so that his disciples who went back to fishing after the crucifixion did what? They saw the resurrected Lord and they gave up fishing and they began preaching. And all of them were willing to die for Christ. So showing us that this news really did happen. But then he begins, as you look at verse 12, he, he begins to talk about some of these issues that the church was having in their day. That there were some in, in Corinth who were saying, well, Christ rose from the dead, yes, but we won't. 
And so Paul now is beginning to, to, to show their heir. He's showing that those who deny the resurrection of Christ's followers actually deny the resurrection of Jesus. And he's explaining then in verses 14 through 19 the consequences, or we could say the gifts of Christ's resurrection. So there were some who were saying, well, yes, you know, Jesus died, he died and rose from the dead, but you won't. And so you don't have any hope after the grave. You're dead and that's it. Paul is saying, no, that's wrong. He's saying, if that's actually true, then we, first of all, our preaching is in vain. Look at me at verse 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So that first consequence then, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, and if we will not be raised from the dead as well, he's saying that our preaching is in vain. It's empty. It's meaningless. In other words, it's devoid. It's absent of all truth. Preaching the gospel would be wrong because as Paul showed us in verses 1 through 4, preaching the gospel entails what? Preaching the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Friends, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then what we're doing here this morning, what gathering here, is simply just a waste of time. The past seven years that I've served here, that would have been a waste. The last 50 years that our church has existed as a witness in this community would be a complete waste. What we've done for the past 2,000 plus Sundays as a church, preach the gospel, it would all amount to nothing. What I'm saying to you right now would be a big, fat lie. Our preaching is in vain. Second of all, our faith is in vain. If Jesus is not raised, our faith is in vain. It's empty. It's useless. It's not going to do any good in this life. Why would our faith be in vain? Because if Christ were not raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain because we have a resurrected Savior who is the object of our faith. But Paul is saying if He is not truly resurrected, then the object of our faith is useless. It's meaningless. And he goes on in verse 15 and he says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. So our preaching's in vain, our faith is in vain, and we misrepresent God. If Jesus' body were still in the tomb, then what we are doing gathering here today is misrepresenting the one true God. He goes on and explains further in verse 17, and if Christ has not been, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. So another consequence is, if Jesus had not been raised, we are still in our sins. Our faith is futile. It's not true. We're still in our sins. And Paul points out here, really, the crucial connection between Christ's death and his resurrection. Don't miss that. Because if Jesus were not raised from the dead, then his death would have accomplished nothing for the forgiveness of our sins. And friends, your greatest need, your greatest need today, It's not a bigger and better job, not a bigger and better house, not a bigger and better car. No, your greatest need is not for food, it's not for water, it's not for the air we breathe. Your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven so that you can come to know the true and living God through Jesus Christ. 
And Paul, what he's saying here is that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, there's no way for this to happen. You're still in your sins. You're alienated from God, meaning you're separated from God. There's no way for you to know him. And you're still under his wrath against your sin. And you will face eternity in hell. Paul writes elsewhere in Romans 4, verse 25, he says, Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Meaning, the resurrection is literally living proof that Christ's death was sufficient to cover all of our sins, to save us and take the punishment for all our sins. So if Jesus had not been raised, we'd still be left our sins. We also see in verse 18 that if Jesus has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep have perished. You see that verse 18. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, meaning those who have died but had faith in Christ, they're done for. They have no hope. There's no hope that goes beyond the grave. They will face judgment for their sins when they die. Paul is going to say that's not the case. Yes, after death comes judgment. But for everyone whose faith is in Jesus, everybody who's trusting in Christ, they will not perish. They will enter into eternal life. Now, a sixth consequence, if if Jesus had not been raised, Paul says in verse 19 that we are of all people the most to be pitied. What Paul is getting at here. He's saying if Christ is dead, the life that he has lived for the sake of the gospel, the life that I live, the life that you, professing believer, live, every other person who has taken the name of Christ has lived, their lives are absolutely pitiful. They amount to nothing. If there's no resurrection, then Christian's entire life, then a Christian's entire life is based on a lie. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 and following, listen to what, listen to Paul's life he lived for Christ. Listen to this. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety, my anxiety for all the churches. Friends, what a pitiful life that Paul would have lived if Christ was not raised from the dead. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, then all of the sufferings that he went through, his beatings, his imprisonment, he's saying it's all in vain and it would amount to nothing. Do you feel the weight of that? If Christ had not been raised from the dead, then the sufferings of this present life all amount to nothing. They have no purpose. If Jesus has not been 
raised from the dead, then we're living a lie. And we are the most foolish people in the world, of most to be pitied. Because as Christians, we are to live our lives with hope based on what we will know to come true in the future at the return of Christ. And with his return, we'll be raised from the dead. The enemies of God will be conquered. But if Christ has not been raised, then there's no resurrection for us. And ultimately, we have no hope for eternity. So friends, I ask you, are we just fools? Are we just fools looking off into the future with a fool's hope? Well, if it ended there, we would be. Right? But Paul doesn't end there. Thankfully, we have verse 20, where he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Christ has been raised. He's alive. So let's go back and let's say positively what we have seen. In other words, because Christ is alive and he has been raised, our preaching is not in vain. It's true, and it's the only message that saves. Our faith is not in vain, because the one that we have placed our faith in, the Lord Jesus Christ, has conquered sin and death, and he is alive. So that means that we are rightly representing God with his word and the gospel. It's true. And so we, through faith in Christ, no longer live in our sins, because Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Those Christians who have gone before us in death, they have not perished. They will not face the wrath of God against their sins. We are not to be pitied because we do not live a lie. Brothers and sisters, do you see, do you not see the wonderful blessings of the resurrection? I hope you do. The fact that Jesus is alive gives us meaning, gives meaning to our lives, and it gives meaning to the sufferings that we face in this life. It's not in vain. As we've seen in 1 Peter, we have a hope, a living hope, a hope that goes beyond the grave. Friends, the gospel does not end with Jesus' body being laid in the grave and the stone rolled and shut forever. You know, when those who buried Christ shut the door, it became pitch black in there. But that was not the last time that light would penetrate that dark tomb. No, in fact, Christ has been raised. And as Paul writes, he's the first fruits of those who fall asleep, meaning that Christ was the first of many of those who would trust in him, that they would be raised from the dead as well. So the resurrection and the empty tomb changes everything. Our lives are not in vain. Our faith is not in vain. Our preaching of the gospel is not in vain. We have a hope that is living. So what now is the significance then of this? I promise I'm not going to preach on the whole chapter. We'll skip over a major section. Let's go to the very end. What's the significance of Jesus' resurrection? Look with me at verse 54. We'll read on down to 58. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O, o, o death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God 
who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In other words, Paul is summarizing up, he's summing up that all, uh, because of the resurrection, all of the work that we do here is not in vain. All of the things that we labor for here, all of our lives are meant to be done in light of the eternity that we have with Christ. That's why we care for our families. That's why we love our, for our, that's why we love our families. That's why we work hard at our jobs. That's why we share the gospel, because it's an eternal work. And I understand that there are some here today, you are a Christian that is, you are trusting in Christ as your only hope for salvation. And I want to say to you, rest assured that there is no pointless task for the believer to do here on this earth. Everything we do in this life matters when we do it for the Lord. And it will bring joy and it will be satisfaction in our heart for God for eternity. There's nothing pointless. And that's why we can't keep this message to ourselves. That's why we can't keep this gospel of Christ dying and rising to ourselves. But I want to say, if you are here today and you are not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, see the beauty of what Paul is writing here. See this message, this news that was declared then and has continued to be declared today. And I urge you to place your faith in Christ. Recognize that you are a sinner who can do nothing to save yourself from the punishment that is due your sin. Call out to Christ today. And what I mean by that is don't trust in yourself as your hope for salvation. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what faith is. It's a trust in Him to save you. Faith is not a blind belief. It's not a blind jump or shot in the dark. No, we have an object for our faith. And that object is the Lord Jesus Christ who died and who rose from the dead to save people from their sins. Friends, Christ is not dead. He was raised from the dead and he conquered sin and death. So believe in Christ today and he will save you from your sins and save you from the wrath of God against your sin. So how do you respond to this news? Remember, it's not advice. It's not something that you can just kind of attach to your life, add on a supplement to your life. It's not, no, I got all these other important things to do, so I'll just try and fit Jesus in where I can. And you know, that's what some people have tried to do. Just add Jesus in. You go back and you you read the Old Testament, you'll often find God pronouncing judgment upon Israel because they sought to have God just as one of their gods. They would combine their worship for him with these worship for the gods of their neighbors. But there's only one God. And this is a message of the gospel. That message must be responded to. You either believe or you reject it. So how will you respond to this message today? Will you believe in Jesus by placing your faith in him and hope in him for life in him, recognizing that you're a sinner and repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ? Or will you reject? You know, 
I like to walk through cemeteries. And the older they are, the better. Uh, when we served in Kentucky, the church that I, I've shared this with you guys, before, some, some of you before, the church that we had, every church in Kentucky had a cemetery outside. And on Sundays, we would go and May and I would walk through the cemetery. And I'd like to go back there someday. Not because of the fun and kind of scary times that we had there with our students, trying to play capture the flag at night, trying not to step on the graves or trip over certain things as we were playing wiffle ball or football on the edge of the cemetery. But I'd like to walk through there again because I enjoy cemeteries. Not because I'm like some of you weirdos who enjoy Halloween and all of the nastiness that comes with it. But I enjoy walking through cemeteries because all of those graves there are reminders. That's where every single one of us is headed. We'll either be six foot under, or you'll end up in an urn on a mantle. Maybe you'll have your ashes spread in the ocean. But those cemeteries, those gravestones are a reminder to me how back in Jerusalem there was a tomb that once was shut and held a body. But now that body's no longer in there, but is seated at the right hand of God. So friends, look at how Jesus took the sting of death. Death is not poisonous to those who believe and trust in Christ. We no longer have to fear death because our Savior, our King, our Lord, holds the keys to death and Hades. And this is the only message that is of first importance, and it changes everything. You don't go on living the same life when you encounter the resurrected Christ because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. So we can learn from those who went before us, who did not give into their fears, did not give into their anxiety, but who trusted in Jesus and faced the burning of their bodies and faced the plundering of their properties because Jesus is greater and Jesus changes everything. So friend, don't leave here today without knowing that your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Cry out to him and he will hear you. Turn from your sin and turn to your Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we go from here, may we stand with those who've gone before us and may we stand on Scripture alone because his word is solid ground. May we see that through faith in Jesus alone, it is what justifies we have no merit we can claim. May we see that in Christ alone we are saved because his righteousness is all our food. May we see the beauty of grace alone because it's by grace alone that we have been saved. And may we seek to live for the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for this news that you have revealed to us in your word. That Jesus Christ suffered and died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. But who also rose from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. So that we, through faith, would not have to fear death. We will not feel the final sting of death. But death has been defeated in Christ. Lord, we look forward to the day when Christ will return and there will be no sin and there will be no more death. 
We get to be with you for all eternity. Father, I pray for those who are here this morning. If there are any here who have not trusted in Christ, Father, may you work in their lives at this very moment. Show them that they need the Lord Jesus Christ to die and rise from the dead to save them from their sins. Father, for those who have served you faithfully for decades, may they continue to serve you faithfully. Continue declaring this good news of Jesus Christ that is of first importance. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.